back to this Believe Land is Your Land podcast. Uh, I'm joined, as I always am, by John Colosimo and Mike Krupka. Welcome back to week two of training camp, fellas. Week two, just as exciting as week one. We've got the scrimmage in our rear view. We got the you know week first week of preseason in our rear view, and we're looking forward to the to the Colts. Things are exciting. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, get on with these joint practices here um, and see who all is or is not involved. So uh, it's exciting to uh, these guys get to smash helmets with somebody that's not our, our own colors. Yeah, and you can really tell that these guys are chomping at the bit to hit somebody that isn't wearing orange and brown. I am a little bit disappointed, and maybe I'm just being a wet blanket about it, but. I'm, I'm disappointed with the news that came out today that uh, it looks like it's going to be at least another week before Andrew Luck is going to suit up and, and take any training camp reps this year. They're being super cautious with him. Um, I was really looking forward to seeing this defense get tested with, with Andrew Luck at the helm. That Colts offense last year was one of the most efficient in football, and they were efficient in ways that are training moments and in, in coachable moments because when you go out and you get beat, in a joint practice session by the Patriots or by the Packers. And it's just a quarterback that's going to be in Canton. And I'm not saying that Andrew Luck is not, but when you're, when you're up against a future hall of famer quarterback and they're just feathering passes in that the average NFL quarterback can't throw, then you kind of shrug your shoulders and say, yeah, that's not, that's Tom Brady. Yeah. That's Peyton Manning. That's Aaron, Aaron Rodgers. That's whomever. When you're, <clears throat> when you're coaching against the Colts and the offense last year, they ran a lot of misdirection they ran a lot of formation snaps, and they schemed guys open in a way that not a lot of NFL teams do. There's not a lot of coaches that coach at that level, and the Colts do. So I was really looking forward to seeing how the Browns were going to stack up against that schematically. Um, that being said, after the kind of grueling practices that Freddie Kitchens has run for these guys, and for all intents and purposes, he has been absolutely murdering it and, and keeping it very serious and running some of the most old-fashioned practices you'll see around, I'm sure these guys are going to be very excited to go up against another team. Yeah, I think that part of that, I, I agree that it would be nice to have Andrew Luck in there, but it's not like we can hit him. So, <laughs> you know, I think that we'll still get, uh, if we have the right people in the right places, then uh, we'll still get a lot of that same information to see uh, how our defensive line does against their offensive line, how our DBs do against uh, whether guys are running free. Even if that quarterback that subs in is not, you know, I think it would be Brissett, right, um, who – you know, whether or not he hits the guys, if we have the right reporters and they're doing a good job, then we'll find out whether or not those guys were open and available to hit. So I think we'll get a largely the same information. Yeah, and I think that's the – that there is, is probably the crux of my issue is that J- Jacoby Brissett's uh, been a very capable quarterback for the Colts in his spot duty, relieving Andrew Luck and, and playing when he was hurt. Um, he had some nice reps for the Patriots before that. He's a, he's a solid – guy who belongs in the NFL. I remember the Brown I was I was upset that the Browns didn't bring him in as a depth option when he was available. I like yeah, I think Jacoby that was somebody that. they targeted too. Yeah. I mean the, the word was that was the guy that we wanted and he was taken I think about two picks ahead of where we took Kessler. Yep. Yeah fourth uh, early uh, like mid third round, I believe. Uh, uh fourth round? Maybe maybe early fourth. Yeah. But I, I I remember that distinctly as well. And there were some people that said that the Cody Kessler draft pick in that draft was kind of a panic pick because they only had a couple guys on their quarterback draft board that they'd already vetted throughout the organization and and when Brissett was gone they kind of scrambled jets knowing that they needed to bring somebody in um all that being said uh, Jacoby Brissett isn't going to test these DBs the same way that Andrew Luck will be and I think that when you're the number two and number three guys on the Browns when you are a depth defensive backs who are trying to trying to 
put some good tape on for the coaches and prove that you can make this team. I would rather see you doing that against Jacoby Brissett and the second team than be doing it against third and fourth string, you know, guys off the street type receivers. Cause I know these DBs are probably sick of housing Drew Stanton wobble balls. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to seeing Baker against the secondary of Indianapolis that, you know, they've got hooker, they've got Desir, they've got, I think I can't place his name off the top of my head, but I think he was rated the, the, you know, pro football focus all, all team last week in terms of his rating as a defensive back. So, you know, they've got some talent at linebacker as well. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how, again, how our offense operates against a different secondary, albeit our, our secondary is very good, but Washington was not obviously, but yeah, looking, looking to see that challenge and see how the guys compete on both sides of the ball. Yeah, it's a huge step up in competition. We're talking about from a, you know, a cellar dweller to a, a legit playoff contending team. Yeah, it's Super Bowl contending team. Yeah. Mm-hmm, sure. And something else I'm looking forward to this week, a little bit of a wrinkle, more of a, a high level type of a look is Browns have been talking about offensive line for, for a while as a position that may possibly be our Achilles heel. And I forget who tweeted it out today, but you know, the Colts have a pretty good stockpile of offensive linemen, and we're going to have the entire week up against them. So it may be an opportunity that's going to present itself along with the relationship that Dorsey has uh, with, with – oh, man, I'm forgetting his name. Is it uh, Ballard? Ballard, Ballard, right. So it it may be interesting to see if something comes up after this practice, uh, you know, in terms of uh, offensive line goes. Yeah, it's so funny. I was talking about that the other day because somebody was talking about Derek Willies and Jalen Strong and how good they've looked in camp. And obviously there's some Browns colored glasses on for that, which is kind of a funny term if you think about it. Like all, all glasses are kind of <laughs> brown colored, but um, some, some brown and orange flavored homerism, as they said, we've got this really, really deep stockpile of wide receivers. This is obviously before the Antonio Callaway suspension was announced, but they said that maybe that's a position of tr- strength that the Browns will be able to, trade with somebody in the offseason to get some depth at offensive line and I said you know teams don't have surplus at offensive line but you're right the report today was that that is a position of strength they've got a couple positions where they're they're uh they're they're really deep and the Colts might be a team that looks to parlay that into making some uh trades for for a position in need let me just say this too uh and I know I've said it before but there's a little Baker effect going on when it comes to wide receiver depth all right, and I think that this is something that we're going to see quite often um, for the, the next decade. Is we're always going to seem to have great depth in wide receivers because <laughs> that's what happens when you have a really good quarterback. How many times did you see Peyton Manning, you know, show up for camp with a couple brand new receivers? Like who knew, you know, Pierre Garcon and you know, like some of those guys. Like it was just a a constant churn of good wide receivers for. You know, and and I think that's very common for great quarterbacks to have. So I think that we're you have to check yourself a little bit on uh, these guys that we that we see as really good depth, um, as guys that might be much more replaceable than you think, just because there's some Baker effect going on there. I mean, Perriman is a an A one example of of that, and I think Jalen Strong is just the next example of that same effect happening. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit on uh, the follow-up show on Thursday to the preseason game one, that this year Jalen Strong is almost definitely the Brashad Perriman. He's a guy that came into the league, highly touted, has all of the measurables and the skill set, 
but may have been hindered by some terrible quarterback play, some, uh, you know, some nicks and cuts and, and banged up small injuries and just never really reached that potential. But the point that I think you're trying to make or that you are making is that sometimes just as important as opportunity and getting familiarity and reps and feeling comfortable in your own skin and being able to show that God-given talent is having consistent quarterback play. It's having a guy who's going to hit you where you need to get the ball to, to maximize that skill set. You're going to see that year in, year out as they bring these reclamation projects in. I will uh, ride with uh, Mike on his Derek Willie's hype train, though. I think that he might be a, a diamond in the rough type kind of a big-bodied size speed athlete that that's actually kind of rare and hard to find that that they'll look to hold on to because of it he kind of reminds me of a, a form of you know Richard Higgins in that just again that fluidity that he has as an athlete he's 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 at that athletic he's not overly fast but he's quick you know all those different things his attention to detail on the routes his versatility being able to play on the outside or on the inside I think you know, that alone gives him a, a lot more value than a, than a player that may be locked into, say, the Z. And so, you know, even with Callaway not being here, you're able then to, to push, you know, at least for the first four weeks, right? You're able to push somebody up like Willie's, get him even more reps and more chances to show his value and, and understand his, you know, long-term strategic uh, placement on this team. Do you think that it's been long enough for me to take victory laps on Pierre Desir and how much I loved that guy when the Browns drafted him, seeing him really blossom into a solid, if if not unspectacular, cornerback for the Colts? Yep, I loved him. You know, I was upset when we cut him. So, you know, I think uh, I think it's still a minority group here that we're in, but <laughs> certain, certainly, like that was a cut that uh, I did not like at the time, and it certainly works uh, looks worse now than it did then. And there's not a lot of those. There's not a lot of guys that are going to play full 10-year careers on other teams at the Browns draft, especially in late rounds. But um, he was one of those guys that was always going to be super raw, that needed a little bit of time for seasoning. And unfortunately, he just got caught in that churn that happens in Cleveland where guys only get a year or two to show out, and then a new GM is around and cleans out the staff of the previous GM. So I'm, gl I'm glad to see him make it. He was a great story, <clears throat> a guy who played, you know, in a small yep. school. You know, uh, I think he's from Haiti. I'm probably getting that wrong, but it's, it's nice to see him stick around and, and actually develop a really nice long uh, career out there. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about as we get into these joint practices, I mentioned it a little bit on the lead up, but, and we say this every time, we say this every off season, that it's hilarious how different this year's team is, this year's camp is. But I think that this week and last week, really, we finally started to get a glimpse of what kind of a head coach Freddie Kitchens is, because we've only seen the light and easygoing aspect of him throughout the whole off season, throughout all the building the Brown stuff. We saw a really measured, really easygoing guy who really relates to his players. And I think in the last two weeks, we saw that that doesn't come hundred percent of the time, that that doesn't mean that he's soft. And that doesn't mean that he's going to take it easy on players. This Browns camp has been grueling. They've been in pads almost every day. They've given guys time off to keep them healthy, but those guys are still taking mental reps on the sideline, which is something that he telegraphed last year during the hard knock segment. This, this, this most recent episode of building the Browns has kind of reinforced the idea that Freddie Kitchens is kind of a hard ass. And I don't know that I really saw that coming in the, in the kind of flavor that it has. Yeah, it was excellent. It's been excellent in terms of, it's not just the, it's not just the words, it's actually the actions behind the words that we're seeing. And we saw it begin with the, you know, the very first practice uh, of camp this year, you know, setting the tone, actually backing up what he's saying. And I think you heard Najoku talk on the uh, 
um, the Building the Browns episode on the sideline of the preseason game one, just saying, you know, hey, these games are going to be easy because of how hard practice is and how hard we're, we're working in practice. Games are going to be fun. And I think that's, you know, that, that's something that is important as the year goes, as, as the year goes along, and as we have more and more competition. Uh, again, that's going to be a, a key factor for us to be, you know, just more fit than the other team and able to, to grind it out. Have we, have we had one of these before? Have we had a, so obviously you get all flavors of head coach when you go through one every two years, but have we had one of these before? Have we had somebody who's just going to like crush you on fundamentals until you get it right? Who's going to keep going at it? Who's going to keep you in pads until he sees what he needs to see? I, cause I, I'm, I'm having a hard time remembering a guy who was like a, a true ball buster coach. For the most part, it seems like we err on the side of players coaches. I don't know about that. I mean, Mangini certainly wasn't a player's coach. That's, that's a good sure. example. That's a good example. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's almost like politics, and I don't want to, you know, get into politics here, but it, there does seem to be like a, a rebound effect that you see with a lot of teams where they go from player's coach to fundamentals coach to player's coach to fundamentals coach. And I think that the Browns, they've done a good bit of that themselves uh, to very low effect. <laughs> I think one theme that continues to shine through for me about Freddie Kitchens and, and it, it started last year when he came in for his first game he just continues to surprise us week in and week out I, we, we we continually say like hey it would be great if he could do this and then he comes out and does just a little bit better than that and we say it week in and week out and and here we are this season and again he's He's mixing both of those worlds in a way that we've never seen before, in a way that's assuaging any fear that I have about things a la Jeff Schwartz saying, hey, he's a rookie head coach with all these expectations. He's going to fold. He's not going to be able to handle it. He can't manage all the personalities. Again, everything that he's shown me this, this preseason, all the standards that he's you know, expecting the team to play to and to be at, I'm not worried about it because, again, he just continues to surprise me week in and week out in the best way. Yeah, and I love that there's no faux there's no faux transference of authority. Freddie Kitchens talked about it today during his press conference. He talked about how he's he's uh, getting rid of the leadership council, which was a mechanism that Hugh Jackson put in place where if players didn't want to necessarily raise a stink directly with him, they could talk to this leadership council and they could manage themselves from within. And in theory, that's a great idea. And for a more senior team, that might may be okay. But what it was for the Browns, and I. 1000% agree with Freddie Kitchens about this is that it was a way to shirk responsibility. It was a way to have somebody else to talk to, to try and mediate your disputes rather than holding each other accountable and only bringing and only bubbling things up when, when they deserve somebody else's attention. I love it. I love that on the defense, you have multiple veterans that are holding guys accountable, guys like Demarius Randall, guys like Christian Kirksey, and even, you know, second year guys like Miles Garrett, the, the players are coaching themselves on defense and right behind Freddie Kitchens orchestrating the offense is Baker Mayfield, and nobody's holding the players on offense more accountable than he is. And it's not an a Aaron Rodgers aloof kind of, why aren't you doing this right? I'm going to show you up if you're not doing it correctly way, but it's in a family like we have to clean this up. And the offensive linemen have talked about how it's important to them. The wide receivers have talked about how the give and take is important to them. And if these Browns are going to get to the kind of level that we think they can get to and that they have the talent to be able to get to, that kind of accountability is incredibly important. And it, it – and, and, you know, we find ways to talk ourselves into the Cleveland Browns every offseason, but this is the kind of stuff this season that makes it very easy to talk yourself into the 2019 version. Yeah, I'll tell you what, like even just uh, hearing a little report about uh, Baker, and I think there was maybe a coach involved or whatever, kind of dressing down Odell after a play 
a week or two ago. It's like, uh, and we got through that without any drama. That's actually like a nice little, you know, it's a tiny little blip, but you know, uh, it's something that's good to see because absolutely, you know, we know that uh, you know he hasn't been granted diva status to do whatever he wants and <laughs> and those types of things. You know, like Baker's going to hold him accountable, and and he's going to let Baker hold him accountable. So that's that that was the good part of that for me. Absolutely, I think that point sets the tone for the whole team, and and I have to imagine you looked at the the, the preseason week one against the Redskins. There's lots of rookies that made lots of mistakes. There's lots of players that made lots of mistakes, and they they came off the field and they know that hey, OBJ can get his ass chewed out. I'm going to get my ass chewed out, and that's okay. And I'm going to take that and I'm going to fix it, or else guess what? I'm going to get my ass chewed out again. And that again, that creates just such a synergy and it, it's such a cool environment that we're seeing. That again, I don't think I've ever witnessed at least in my tenure as a, as a Browns fan on, on this planet anyways. <laughs> I don't recall it. So, so this, this week, what I'm looking forward to the most with the Colts, I'm looking forward to nobody getting hurt. I mean, for, for starters, that is the right. one thing that we and, and And I think the Players Association is going to have a real say in how long training camp is and how many preseason games they play in the future because so many guys get injured in the beginning of the year when they're just starting to get up to NFL speed and, and you have a bunch of guys that are trying to make the team playing at 1,000 miles per hour while everyone else is going through the normal speeds. But I'm hoping that they can have a really effective practice where they can really put on some good tape. They can uh, work on their technique. They can, see, they can work on some things that they don't see every day against the same Browns offense. But also, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens when things slow down a little bit. Because what we saw in preseason game one was – the Browns going a million miles an hour, no huddle, all the way down the field with the first team offense, running pace and throwing the ball almost exclusively. I'd like to see them slow down and move in these kind of short yardage situations, see how they execute when things tighten up a little bit and they're not just uh, wide open downfield. And I think that this will be the first week that we get an opportunity to see how that looks because up until this point when the Browns have been doing those, having those moments in their own camp, the results have been kind of mixed. They've been mixed by... Brown's 2018 second half of the season standards in which things seem kind of easy. Things have been up and down. There's been a lot of interceptions. There's been a lot of turnovers. And I'm curious to see how they look when they're against another team. Yep. That goes to the point I was talking about earlier. I'm, I'm excited to see our, our guys, our offense up against their secondary. You got Rocky Austin. You've got Malik Hooker. You got Pierre Desir. And again, I, I still can't think of that other guy's name. I think it was uh, – I'm just going to quit. But uh, anyways, he, he it, finished – he finished as the top defensive back in week one per uh, pro football focus. So again, I'm, I'm excited to see our guys up against that defense and see how we adjust. You know, we, we came out mostly at least the first team in 11 personnel. We came out one, one snap in one personnel. So again, we were very, very focused on throwing the ball. I think we even told Washington that's what we were going to do is come out yeah, and apparently. do that two minute thing. So I yeah, like that. I like it's that. gonna it's gonna be fun. I didn't know that. It's gonna be fun. Yeah, they did. They Donovan was all over it, and and the guys on television were all over it. And I, I think at first they were speculating if they did, and then they confirmed that they did. I saw reports mm. uh, that you know the, the the Browns told the Redskins, "Hey, we were gonna come out. We're gonna run the two minute offense right off the first snap. We're gonna pretend like we only have one timeout, and we're just gonna try to drive down the field and score as fast as we can." And that's Holy exactly crap. what they did. Yeah, yeah, that was. I love that even more. Yeah, they talked about that a little bit on the radio today, and that blew me back a little bit because it looked like the Browns were playing against a second-string defense that was in a vanilla set and that had no idea what was happening to them. And when yeah. you, you basically telegraph that that's what you're going to do, it, it, it definitely carries with it an extra little bit of sauce. 
So, very cool. Very cool. That's a good bit of information I did not pick up. Um, we're going to take a quick break here, let our sponsors do their thing. And when we come back, we're going to talk about news and notes from the last couple of days. Welcome back to this Believe Land is Your Land. Uh, we talked a little bit about the first preseason game and what we expect from these joint practices. Um, the next segment, we're going to talk a little bit about guys whose stock has been up and down based on what we've seen to this point in camp. And the first guy I want to talk about, because I think it's a really interesting case study, is Mac Wilson. We talked about Mac Wilson a little bit in the postgame show last week. It's, it's almost impossible not to, given that he basically every single day comes away with a pick. Um, I'm, I'm happy to be so to again take a mea culpa on Mac Wilson looking at his athletic testing profile coming out of Alabama and knowing how those guys come into the league kind of maxed out as far as uh what they're capable of historically kind of shied me away from where I thought um he could be uh, as as a full-time pro one of the things I didn't really take into account is that he is 21 years old so he's he, he doesn't have the same wear on his tires that you see with some of these kids coming out of school for for all intents and purposes he may be playing a position that he's better suited for in Cleveland. Um, Mike, can you talk about that a little bit? I see you nodding your head vigorously about the position change. Yeah, not, not just the position change, but also the age thing. I mean, he came out and he, like you said, he was young. The coaches mentioned, I believe that he kind of wasn't as prepared as most teams might like uh, a rookie to be. So he kind of had a long learning curve, but in, in transitioning to the will, which essentially is, you know, one of the outside linebackers or the outside linebacker in the, the four two five that we'll be playing, you know, he, his role is uh, specifically to cover and whether that's the, the tight end or whether that's a, a running back coming out uh, or whether that, you know, could be uh, someone in motion from, from the slot, something like that. He, he's going to be tasked to, to run in space, to turn in cover and to try to make plays on the ball uh, down the field. And that versus the guy who's patrolling the line of scrimmage, who's trying to plug the gaps and, and get the right fits and, and read the running back. Uh, a completely different type of skill set and I think it certainly fits and you see you know just the the, the rewards and putting him in a position that he, he's better suited for and so as you look to the future that's an exciting exciting thing to see him along with the other rookie Taki Taki in the middle who, who played pretty well uh, in his debut. Yeah I'd really love to see him in that big nickel like to be able to kind of almost be that nickel back in um, you know, in our sets would be a huge benefit, I think, uh, versus just having extra safety. So he's just been so good. It would be great to have that extra size in playing those those types of coverages. It's going to be interesting to see as we go through this week, even though it's not going to be Andrew Luck, it's going to be, you know, somebody that's not a rookie, see how he performs against that level of talent. And obviously, as we go through the preseason, he gets a, a sniff at uh, different levels of quarterbacks. You know, you want to see him do it against the better units as well. But I mean, you can't you can't really argue when the, the proof is in the pudding like it has. If it's not a fluke, the guy can cover. So you got to continue to get him in that position, and uh, you've got to believe that he's going to keep making plays. Yeah, the Browns have designed their offense to use an extra safety as essentially a linebacker from day one. They looked at their their staff. They looked at what they wanted to run. They looked at modern NFL defenses, and they said, "We're just going to basically start uh, Eric Murray or uh, Jermaine Whitehead." And they'll use, and you get some flexibility in, in your ability to cover running backs and tight ends as they leak out, and you get some speed to the, the outside edges by doing that, by playing what is essentially an extra box safety as a linebacker. It'll be really interesting if Mac Wilson puts out tape that shows that he's capable of also playing that role, how much they, they rotate in and they play him, at least in early sets, as a standard linebacker uh, versus playing that extra safety. 
And it's going to be interesting to see what they do with Avery when he gets back. They're going to have to, you know, sprinkle him in a, in a different role because you don't want him dropping in coverage. You like yeah, him coming no. off the edge. So, you know, maybe we do have some three linebacker sets or maybe he plays defensive end, comes in, standing up. But, it, it, you know, you're going to have to use these guys again. Now that you have a bunch of them that can do different things, you got to use them in their best position. I think that they're going to use, uh, you know, Avery almost as a down lineman. I mean, yeah, not and, almost, you know, exactly you, as a down lineman. Right, right. And you're going to shift uh, Miles into those inside spots, and that's where you're going to bring Avery in. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to have him doing what he really does is, you know, what he does best. I mean, because <laughs> it's it's amazing how he got overshadowed over the course of the year because Greg dropped him in coverage so much, uh, you know, playing that linebacker spot in Greg's defense. He was phenomenal. He was uh, either first or second in pass rush productivity, like something, mm -hmm. something crazy like that. Um, if we just had him doing, and, and he was great in the run defense as well. So if we just had him doing everything except for uh, coverage. Yeah, I think that when you look at the plays that Gennard Avery and Miles Garrett were on the field at the same time, which wasn't yes. as much as he would have liked, they were almost unstoppable. And that was almost unstoppable without much else on the line. We only got a couple healthy games of Larry Ogunjobi um, before both he got hurt with the bicep and got ran into the ground playing not 100% of the team snaps. But when you had the two of them on the field at the same time, it was unbelievable. And now you're going to have the two of them on the same team on pass rushdowns and also have Sheldon Richardson and also have Olivier Vernon. So the, the pass rush sets that the Browns are going to be able to play are going to be incredible. Um, yeah, good some, luck. Yeah, good luck, indeed. Some other stock up, stock down. We talked a lot uh, over the last couple of days about Rashard Higgins. Uh, Rashard Higgins weirdly entered this offseason with people believing that he is a product of Baker Mayfield and not somebody who has been enhanced by Baker Mayfield. That seems like a really weird distinction. Rashard Higgins was a guy who Pro Football Focus liked as one of the best wide receivers in college football when he came out. And that was not a popular take because he didn't blow other receivers out of the water athletically. He was a guy that was known as a precise, precise route runner who had great body control, who had a great catch radius. Uh, he was a professional NFL wide receiver. And over the last six games of the season and now coming into training camp, it seems like he's still a great secret that people are still surprised by what he is putting out on tape. And that launched a conversation this week about whether his stock is up given the Antonio Callaway suspension or whether it kind of remains the same. How do you guys see that wide receiver room stacking up both now and in the future and how much of the product of his uh, tape is, is who he is and who he was always bound to be and how much of it is his familiarity with, so I'd like to start with uh, just saying that, you know, by the numbers, when you uh, look at uh, athletically how, you know, receivers do, you know, outside of the elite of the elite, uh, wide receiver is probably the least tied to athletic performance uh, as any position on offense. You know, typically, like, they only have to be good at one or two things. They don't have to be exceptionally uh, agile and also top defense speed and, you know, short area quickness, like those types of things, like generally wide receivers, there, there's a, there is a nuance to it. You don't have to be the most athletic uh, guy in the world to be, um, to be a very productive wide receiver in the NFL. And that's just, that's out of 40, 50 years of, of history on these things. Rashard Higgins not being uh, incredibly gifted athletically 
by the numbers doesn't at all preclude him from being a very, very productive wide receiver. Probably cuts him out of the elite of the elite. But the bottom line is taking a couple of years to polish his craft and do what he does well um, wasn't outside of the, uh, you know, the expectations when he came in. And we're just seeing him, in my opinion, like polish those curves. Uh, You know, yes, Baker and he, you know, they formed a rapport pretty early last year. It used to be, you know, a few years ago, it used to be year three is when you'd look for that wide receiver to really break. You wouldn't even really expect anything from a receiver until that third year. You know, under those types of things, like what we've seen from Rashad Higgins is right on par with what you'd expect. And I think he's a a fantastic receiver. I don't think that this is Baker Mayfield making Rashad Perriman look like a, a completely capable NFL wide receiver. I think it's him enhancing it. Yep, I'd agree. I think, you know, you look at stats as an indicator of skill set, and I think it's the it's the wrong thing to look at. I mean, obviously, Higgins' market share last year was relatively small. He only had 11% market share on the Browns uh, with 600 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, you know, his 53 targets was the uh, 29th least uh, amount of targets for a starter. This is um, crucial stuff, listeners. Like, I know Mike has gone through this routine at least 100 times a season. Uh, I have to. Social media, but I'm happy to hear him go through it again because this is what you should be bringing to the table for any conversation about Rashard Higgins. Go on. Yeah, preaching. man. And, yeah, I'm preaching. Let's do it. His, uh, <laughs> his 73% catch, catch rate is the, was tied with the NFL's 13th best, and that's obviously capped by uh, a minimum, uh, I believe, of, of 43 uh, attempts. So – his 11.2 yards per target was tied with Antonio Brown. And I think the most important thing, and you hear guys talk about it, you hear me talk about it here. A lot of smart football people talk about it. A wide receiver doesn't have to be a certain height. He doesn't have to come in a, in a certain shape or form. John, you kind of alluded to it a little bit. I, I might disagree with some of those things. I think you've got to have a, a combination of skill sets. Uh, you know, you got to have speed and the ability to change direction. You don't have to be the most explosive player necessarily to go up and get a jump ball um, if you can create separation. I think that's the one thing that he's always been good at doing, especially mm-hmm. in college, was creating separation. And last year he did, he did it with some of the best wide receivers in the league last year. He had the same separation as Juju Smith-Schuster, the same as Demarius Thomas, the same as Odell Beckham, the same as Devontae Adams, the same as Marquise Goodwin. So if you can get open and you can get separation – your quarterback is only going to make you like that. Like you're, you're going to make your quarterback's job easier, which in turn is going to help you. So you're seeing that carry over this year for Richard Higgins. Everything that he's doing is, is just sort of coming to a peak, as you alluded to, John. And this isn't surprising to me. And I think he's definitely uh, a guy that is continuing to rise. I think his stock is continuing to go up. Yeah, I think he is. I think it is too. And I think that the problem with that is that, Browns fans are starting to get into a very real conundrum of what you do with him beyond the season. He's, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent after the season. And the Browns have an enormous amount of money invested in the wide receiver position. And unfortunately it's a really unique situation, which those players that the Browns have money invested in OBJ and Jarvis Landry are kind of a package deal. And that's a not, that's not a very popular opinion amongst Brown fans. Everybody circles back around on money talks and that, uh, it's a business and those guys would be happy carrying on on different teams if it meant it was the best for their personal brand and their stats and their wallets. And I think that in Cleveland, that's just not true. I think that these guys are family and I think that they 
um, are going to want to be together for a long time on the Browns. And that may mean that you have to let a guy like Rashard Higgins go. And that, I want to be very clear, breaks my heart because I think that he's a really good player. And I think that the Browns do need a third receiver at that level, regardless of whether you think that Landry is better than Higgins or Higgins is better than Landry. I think that it's really important to have three wide receivers that you can rely on and that you can trust, especially one who has the kind of efficiency catching the ball as Rashard Higgins does. So for all of the people on social media this week that were arguing about who is better, it's, it's not important. It's not relevant. Jarvis Landry is a good wide receiver. He was miscast and misutilized last year as a downfield uh, stretch the field through the scene kind of wide receiver. And he did not excel on those routes and he had low efficiency numbers when Baker threw to him on routes that were deep developing routes downfield and coverage. That's not his skill set. And in a lot of ways, his skill set and Duke Johnson's in the in the in the flats and the slots was kind of redundant. It was part of the reason that neither one got the kind of targets that they wanted there. Also, having a guy like David Njoku hurts. However, Rashard Higgins is a guy that helps Rashard or that helps Jarvis Landry play the kind of wide receiving position that he should be playing. So you'll see an uptick in his capability this year as he is not running those kind of routes. So all of that is to say that you don't need to diminish one guy in order to talk about how good the other one is. Both Rashard Higgins and Jarvis Langer are good wide receivers that would also be good wide receivers on other teams other than the Browns that also have good quarterbacks. So I don't think that you need to approach it from that route. And it's, it's sad for me to see that. And I think that I want to be in a kind of world as a Browns fan where we can talk about preseason games and we can talk about how great Rashard Higgins is and how great he can be, especially if he stays healthy for full 16 games versus immediately framing it in the context of Jarvis Landry. A couple more guys in camp. Offensive line, whose stock is up, whose stock is down? It's hard to tell whose stock is, is really up versus down. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think, I think Witzman. Like they're being, yeah, they all seem like they're being shitty in different ways right now, right? Well, I think you've got Batonio, obviously. He's, he's been steady. Treader is steady. You've got Robinson, I suppose. His stock is up, meaning you know, we've gone into the preseason with some questions about his ability. Is he going to be able to continue the trend from last year? And he's shown that he can for the most part. Obviously, he didn't take a ton of snaps in, in the preseason game. Uh, they weren't all perfect snaps, that's for sure. But I would say his stock is kind of uh, up uh, from the game. Kush is kind of in the middle. Didn't really go up, didn't really go down. Had some things to work on. Ended up in our quarterback's lap a couple times. Didn't really execute some of the pool plays like you might want to see, but did have some good reps as well. So, you know, he's kind of been up and down, but he continues to to win with the coaches and, and earn that the, the starting rep. So, ultimately his stock, I suppose, is up a little bit. Um, I haven't really looked at Hubbard very much to, to have an opinion whether he was down or up. He didn't really seem to stick out, you know, one way or another to me. So he's, he's, His stock has been up so far through camp in that he isn't a sore thumb. He isn't standing out as badly as he did last year at this time. I think that that is because we are taking his reps with Miles Garrett with a grain of salt. When, when you go back and look at the film and Miles Garrett is literally – two steps in front of everybody else in the line on the get off because he's a freak of nature. I think that we're not using that to evaluate him or Robinson. And I think that overall they've been adequate. We talked about it with Bill Barnwell a little bit, cause he was the guy who issued the quote on the offensive line, continuing to be the Browns Achilles heel. And he's right. The Browns offensive line is the weakest position on the team. I think and it's yeah. not close, uh, especially given the uncertainty at right guard, but the tackles coming down the stretch last year were thoroughly adequate and the biggest problem with Greg Robinson was the holding penalties it wasn't necessarily the play it was the 
the, the, the penalties. And I think that you clean that area up fundamentally as you have a whole season of reps and as you are comfortable in, in what you're doing. And I think that maybe that goes away a little bit. And I think that he has the possibility of rising to like a B plus level of talent. One thing I just want to add really quick here. And before I turn it over to John, I, st I stole your spotlight. You guys can't see John's all, all sad on the video right now, but I think in, in what I said before and how Freddie continues to surprise us, he did it last year down the stretch. He, he and as well as Baker were able to, to execute the offense in a way that again, kept Baker clean. And I think Freddie's going to do that same thing. He's going to look at where, you know, where our strengths and weaknesses are, and he's going to develop schemes and game plans to, to help support what we, we need to have supported in this offense. And I think the offensive line, John, you've made it a point to say that, you know, the, the difference between elite and average isn't as big as average and poor. And so if we can just be average, we're going to be just fine. We're going to be just, just as good as we were last year. If we can aim for middle of the road offensive line play, then we're in, we're in good shape for 2019. No, I agree with that 100%. That was the thing that I was going to say, Mike, is that it, that's the thing that we have to avoid. We have to avoid terrible offensive linemen <laughs> if we can just be average. And, you know, there, it's not that there aren't questions, all right? You know, Jake uh, had a great tweet earlier today on Twitter, uh, which pointed out a specific play type and offensive line technique that we used uh, quite a bit. It's not quite fair to use Miles Garrett pushing on the inside as the um, as the example to why that doesn't work now with Kush or you know or somebody <laughs> like that or any of the people that were rotating in at right but guard. really if we're being honest Kush got absolutely murdered by Miles Garrett on he, that did. he did he did <laughs> but Miles is like you know until further notice Miles Garrett is murdering everybody yeah I like um, that I like that in that same <laughs> that same video stretch as Miles Garrett ran past Baker he just like kind of tapped him like, he didn't hit him, he didn't push him, he didn't disrupt the rest of the play. It was just like a, just for the record, if this was a real play, I would have uh, said to you. Right, I just ripped your arm off, just right, so you know. But, sorry, sorry <laughs> but yeah, they, so I, it's not that there's things that they don't have to work on, but the point, I think, and the goal is to not be terrible. And uh, that sounds counterintuitive. I, I know that there's many people out there that think that, you know, having these elite guys makes some huge difference. But in reality, as long as you can be average, uh, you're going to be much better uh, than than having below average guys versus the difference between just having that average guy and having an elite mauler, you know. And I know that it just doesn't make sense to people, you know. Oh, yeah, man, obviously having an elite mauler at guard or, you know, having a complete blanket as a left tackle it seems like a gigantic advantage, but the numbers show that that's not really the case. You just can't have sieves. You can't have turnstiles. What's going to be fun this week is if you want to see an absolute baller, an absolute elite monster of an offensive lineman, the Browns are going to be going up against Quentin Nelson all week. And that dude just will take your lunch. And I mean, he will just beat you up, throw you in a locker and, and lock it. I mean, you're done. He's just, he is a bad man. And it's going to be fun to watch our interior up against him. It's going to be fun to watch Miles if he shifts inside up against him. It's just that that guy is is fantastic. Just to your point, if I was coach, what elite looks like. Oh, hundred percent. And that's the guy I have in mind. And if I was coach, I'd be rolling Miles inside like fifty percent of the time this week. Just let him go against Quinn. Yeah, let him get some reps against the best at his at his trade. And it's funny that we're already talking about Nelson in those kind of terms. But you're right. He's 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 the guy that if you're building a prototype for the position he, he's the guy you know, he was he was great coming out and he immediately was great in the nfl 
I, I would be shocked. And, and of course, like the things you say in 2019 training camp and then looking after the season are always stupid. And I'm as guilty as that as anybody else. But right now as it stands, I would be shocked if one of the first two picks from the Browns next year wasn't on an offensive lineman. I think that what you're saying about you, ha- you, you can't be a turnstile. You just have to be okay. Is, is Cush in a nutshell. I think that he, they're asking him to be average and he is good at some things that Kevin Zeitler was not. And he is bad at some things that Kevin Zeitler was, was great at. Um, but at the end of the day, they got him because he is efficient at pass blocking and not much else. And I think that between him, between the one-year deal that they signed Hubbard or the one-year deal that they signed Robinson to and the mediocre play that you saw from Hubbard in his first year and that massive contract number, they're going to have to address at least one position with a premium uh, pick or, uh, you know, spending some quan in free agency. And we all know that premium offensive linemen don't get to free agency very often. So it's, it's going to be something to address. I, I, I continue to maintain that it will be the, the, the thing that the Browns struggle with the most this year. Well, you know, Josh, that I was like one of the people where everybody's banging the drum for a DT uh, in the first round when we still had a first round pick. I was one of the people harping on getting one of these offensive tackles. It was a great class. I wanted Andre Dillard something awful. I don't think it was a great uh, class, but Andre Dillard definitely looked really nice and has looked very nice in camp. Yeah, I think it was. I think uh, when you look at I think just it's it's relative, though, Josh. You know what I mean? It's relative to the last three, four years of terrible, terrible offensive line classes. I think maybe since like 2015, 2016 might have been a decent class. So I think was a better one than that. Either way, yeah, we agree on Dillard. Yeah, I mean, in most normal drafts that don't have a Joe Thomas type tackle prospect, I see these guys going in the early to mid teens. I saw Taylor Lewan go at what, like 11 or 12 in that draft. And I know he was known as being kind of a shithead at Michigan. Um, and that probably led to it a little bit. And that was also just a very good draft class um, with a lot of skill players. But all that being said, I would like to be able to grab guys there that I know you can plug and play for the next five, six years. And that have that kind of high ceiling. And I just didn't see it with this draft, draft class outside of one or two guys. What I am hoping that we can get a little bit of is what we saw in green Bay, which was, the coaching staff there really making a difference with late round picks. And I think that may have been part of the reason, Mike, that they brought Campen in to be the coach here is that they expected that to be the kind of player that they're going to need to mold and shape in the long term. Yeah. He's got his work cut out for him. He's got some <laughs> projects on the roster for sure. You've got guys that, that have some good traits, but you know, need to put it all together. You're kind of seeing a, a, a morph and a transformation of Corbett's role. And where he's going to fit, I think expectations from a lot of fans when he came out in the draft was a tackle. But in reality, the team saw him as a guard. And now they're working him, not exclusively, but he's getting a lot of snaps at center. Did in the game uh, last week against the Redskins as well. Uh, had an up and down performance. You know, wasn't terrible, but wasn't great. So hopefully Coach Camping continues to develop players like Corbett, players like Forbes. Uh, you know, if if he's rosterable, even uh, I can't, I'm going to mess up his name. I'm not even going to try homeboy with the uh, Finna whatever. Um, if you guys know what I'm talking about, Finna. Not going to not going to yeah, not going to get not gonna it. Not going to work here. <laughs> not <gonna> work. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that that you know that that dude has some good some good uh, traits to him, but again, he's going to need to get a lot of work on his hand placement and just understanding the arc and all the things that offensive linemen you know need to be successful in the NFL. So yeah. There's a bunch of tri- – like, what I take that to mean is that there is a bunch of – you say diamonds in the rough, I'll say trash on this roster that he's going to try and make magic out of. And you know what? The good teams do it. 
we talked we talked about it on this podcast plenty. The New England Patriots get dudes from all over the place that have never developed any kind of uh, elite skill sets, and they turn them into functional linemen. They turn them into something that, at the end of the day, is greater than the sum of their parts. And, and you know, Green Bay did that for a number of years, and, and the Browns are going to have to do that because they can't continue to spend the number three, number thirty-three overall pick on a guy who can't play for three years. They're going to have to find guys in the later rounds. They're going to do that because. You can't afford to you can't afford to spend premium picks on guys that aren't going to be uh, elite players at their positions. Well, I'll say it till I'm blue in the face that I always felt that Corbett's position was center, and it's just that Treader was so damn good last year and stepped it up entirely that he doesn't have a spot right now. I think like after that year, the center was up for grabs until Treader came in and had the year that he did. Yeah. And I will say it and say it and say it again. Uh, Corbett's position was going to be center. That was going to be his best spot. That's where he had his best snaps this week. That's where I expect him to to do his best. And I know they're going to give him every opportunity because he was the number 33 pick. So, you know, I'm hoping to get something out of him eventually. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit, John, but apparently what Jake Burns uh, over at the OBR saw in that game was very different than what I saw in that game. Because early in the game, I saw – Corbett just getting absolutely bum rushed, especially by speed rushes and having a hard time, like quickly deciphering who his man was and what he needed to do. And then I guess as he moved over and uh, played later and later into the game that he stabilized and he, he put some good things on tape. So that's for, for guys that are still holding out hope that Austin Corbett can put it all together. I, from what I understand from people who we can trust, he exhibited that kind of a performance and he should only continue to grow this week. And just to add to that, Josh, you look at offensive linemen in the league too. Not everybody, regardless, I know it's a disappointment for a, a number two overall pick comes under the Browns. Let's just say he doesn't perform where we want him to. And, you know, we don't, we don't re-sign him after this year. He could very well go to another team and, and pick up from there and, and become a successful offensive lineman. You see it all the time. And so sometimes you just have Talking to have that, that. Yeah, and there's others as well. You just have to have a modicum of patience with these guys sometimes to develop. I mean, even Cam Irving, after just a, a disastrous start here in Cleveland, at least has been serviceable. He isn't he is an elite. That's, that's for sure. He isn't worth a first-round pick, but he's at least able to, to sit on an offensive line and do what he has to do at an average level. So sometimes you just need to give guys patience. And unfortunately, the team that picks you isn't oftentimes in the, the position to be patient with you. So it's just trying to figure out where he fits in the Browns' future plans and uh, you know how, how well he can perform this year. I will say that they, the Chiefs gave the Browns, I think, a fifth-round pick for Cam Irving. Mm-hmm. And he's played, a, he's played above that watermark. He's played he better is. than a fifth-round lineman is typically going to perform. So they got value back from him. In a lot of cases, that comes back to what we mentioned earlier, that when you have a new GM every two, three years, you're going to cycle out guys that are no longer your project. And for all intents and purposes, Cam Irving may have had that kind of season here with Cleveland as a guard, and they, they could have saved that pick and used it on another kicker. So, uh, you know, a lot of things could have <laughs> a lot of things could have happened there. Well, um, I, think, I think that a lot of people know that. Like, a lot of Cleveland fans understand the role that these um, – these regime changes had in keeping us in the gutter for as long as we did, you know, cause not only did we draft at a historically terrible level, but the few hits that we did have, we flushed out early because there's a new regime and they're getting their guys and those kind of things. So I don't think any Browns fan doesn't recognize that, you know, it's a, uh, you know, there is something to stability 
with regards to GM and not trying to and, and being a little more patient with the guys that you draft. And we're going to see some really interesting case studies in that in this offseason as guys who were drafted by the previous Browns regime and Sashi Brown come up for new contracts, guys like Joe Schobert and Richard Higgins, we're going to see how much that talent uh, plays in with a GM that didn't draft these guys. And I'm not a, you know, a John Dorsey is getting guys that he didn't draft out of the building. But when it comes to making a choice between a guy like Sion Takitaki getting snaps or paying a premium for Joe Schobert, who's played very, very well for the Browns, uh, especially when he is fulfilling the kind of role that he's designed to fill, or a guy like Richard Higgins, who is, uh, all for all intents and purposes, replaced with a high-priced free agent or a trade and then a, a big contract in Jarvis Landry, it'll be really interesting to see what kind of moves John Dorsey is willing to make in order to retain those guys versus trusting in his own draft evaluations. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to that personally, but I'm hoping for the best. Me too. Me too. So uh, final thoughts. Anybody else who we think uh, from this last week is stock up and we are looking forward to seeing playing in week two? I really enjoyed what I saw from Devereaux Lawrence. I think as a rotational defensive tackle, we've been looking for someone to step up and show us some flashes, someone that can, again, maybe move even move across the defensive line a little bit to give some guys some spell. I really liked what I saw from him. And I think in week two, we're going to find out a little bit more about him. And I think he's pretty much a lock to make the roster at this point. And I'm, I'm cool with that. I, I, yeah, it was just really you know, he flashed a lot of explosion. He had some powerful hands. He was able to, to, to put on some moves and get inside and get to the quarterback. And that's what you want to see. That is a great point. And, and he is definitely a guy that I'm most interested in seeing. And also on that defensive line, if provided that he's okay, I'd like to see a couple more snaps from Chad Thomas this preseason, which is not a thing that I thought I'd catch myself saying. He probably won't be back this week. He's going to travel. But um, after his uh, stinger, his, his next gear today, it's, it's likely that he gets a little bit of time off. But I was actually kind of excited to see if he could replicate the performance he had in game one where he actually flashed with some nice things on tape. Real quick, my my vote for most improved player of the year being Chad Thomas is still – it's still got a chance. There's still a horse in that race. Wow, you Based actually on, said that you thought that Chad Thomas could be the most improved player of the year? I did. Is that because, I'm, like, when you start at <laughs> – when you start ah. at that level, there's all kinds of Rupert Road that you can only go up from there, that, like, improvement in any that way may, form would be massive? That may have been my exact quote on this show. I think that's exactly how I framed it. When you make the when you make the active roster, that's a massive improvement from not even dressing up game. No, but kidding aside, yeah, I mean he he has shown some some interesting uh, developments so far this year. And if uh, the Browns utilize him in the right way, whether that be on the edge, which I don't think so, maybe maybe more as a a three tech, then you know we're going to see some hopefully some some better things from him. Well, I'd, I'd love to see that, Mike. So uh, I'm rooting for your uh, player, uh, comeback player of the year for the Browns here. Um, I, I also would like to see uh, a repeat performance or not necessarily repeat because we don't expect them to take uh, uh, kickoffs to the house uh, multiple weeks. But I want to see more life out of the return game from Giuseppe. You know, I, I know it's the feel-good story, but setting yeah. aside his feel-good story, like, completely, like, look, we all know it. We're all rooting for him. And uh, if we set that aside, though, the Browns are in bad need of real life on that side of the ball, regardless of the story behind them. So I would love to see uh, some Giuseppe carryover here this, this weekend. Fans are going to be so upset when he gets cut. Like, you can already feel it. Like, it's, he's, he's the Josh Lenz 
of the season. For those of you who don't remember, Josh Lenz was like the undrafted free agent wide receiver camp body from three years ago that Browns fans just absolutely fell in love with. And uh, he is that story this year. Fan, if he doesn't make this squad, and I hope he does, like obviously everybody is rooting for him to, if not make this team, make an NFL team given his work ethic and, you know, the, the off-season storyline there. But fans are going to be so, so crushed if he doesn't. But you give me a great returner, though. I mean, like, please, they, let, let him turn into a great returner. And let me hope for that, you know? Yeah, let him turn into skinny, skinny Josh Cribs. <laughs> Shit. Why not? Heck, yeah. And, and you know what, though? And this is just me being maybe sentimental, but regardless of what does happen, the, the way the Browns kind of – obviously the team all – literally just gravitated towards him in that moment. And then the way the team covered it afterwards and gave him all these little, I guess, mementos of such a, a memorable moment, the way they, you know, were tweeting out the 360 video of his return and just the feature on building in the Browns. I mean, you look back at that as a, as a player, let's say he doesn't make a roster. He, he's going to have that for the rest of his life. And not all teams take, you know, take the time to, to, to be excited for and prop up and, and make it so special for a guy who's just barely hanging on to the roster. So I was really proud and really happy to see the Browns, the way they handled that. I thought it was very classy. Very cool. Yeah, very much so. So check us out again later on this week. We will record one more episode, likely right after preseason game two, in which we should learn a lot more about how this team's constructed and who's going to play where and what's going on. I'm very much looking forward to it. Games two and three in the preseason tend to be the games where you get a little bit of flashes of what your team is going to do and how they're going to be constructed, what they're about. Nobody really knows anything until the season starts, but you learn a whole lot more in week two and three than you do in weeks one and four. So we're very much looking forward to that. Uh, remember over the course of this week to hit us up on social media, hit us up on, on Twitter and let us know if there's anything you'd like to hear us talk about. We love getting fan questions, except for when they're from Mike Hogue, when he asks you ridiculous things about <laughs> what a trade haul you can get from Jarvis Landry. Uh, follow Mike Hogue at Browns Beat, at Browns Beat, and uh, make sure you let him know what you think of his ridiculous questions. Uh, until then, highly thank you very much. Yeah, it's highly encouraged. Until then, uh, thank you for listening, and uh, go Browns. Looking forward to seeing what this week looks like. Thanks for joining us, fellas. Thank you.